Good morning, church. Wonderful to be with you. If you're just visiting with us, welcome to the NM Church of Christ. We are delighted to be with you, and we have a welcome center after. Strongly encourage you to come, grab some coffee or some water, give us a chance to get to know you. I've been excited to start this new series. We thought it'd be good to start a new year just by asking this question, what is worth pursuing? Uh, What is the avenue or approach to pursue uh, the deepest and most enduring joy that we can experience in our lives? And we're looking at a little book in the Old Testament called the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Last week, we set that book up by just looking at a pretty important word in there. The word in Hebrew is hebel, often translated with this line, everything is meaningless. Not a good translation of that word. The word literally means mist or vapor or breath. And maybe we could just think about it with that word mist. And as we said last week, it mist with an I and mist with a Y, right? So it is, it is um, elusive. It is, uh, in a sense, we can't grasp it or hold on to it. It's mist. It's fog-like. But it's also mysterious. So we can't grasp it and hold on to it. We can't grasp it intellectually. So the struggle to find what does endure, what, what gives us ultimate purpose and meaning and joy. That's kind of the pursuit that we're looking at. And so we're going to dive in this week to the rest of uh, chapter 1 and a little bit into chapter 2 overhearing or reading into kind of a journal experience of a wise teacher that's reflecting on his own pursuit. And if you have your Bibles or devices, we're going to be looking at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting verse 12. Uh, We'll we'll look at that whole section up to verse 11, but I'll I'll skip a little chunk um, where, where you see that. So if you please stand out of respect for God. As we read the word of the Lord, you'll see words that we uh, just say as a simple way of saying thank you to our God for revealing the Lord's purposes and ways to us. It's the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are mist, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So I said to myself, come now, and I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, mirth, just kind of a too much lightheartedness, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens. During the few days of their lives. Skip down to verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done. What I had toiled to achieve. Everything was missed. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. 
Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to start by just inviting you to remember for a moment your childhood dreams. What was it that you dreamed or wished? or What was your hope, your aspiration as you grew up in the world? What, maybe just think about one. What was one big dream that you had? As I think about this, I can't help but remembering an old kind of classic sitcom, The Office, tells the story of Michael Scott, who is the world's worst boss, makes everything about him. There's one episode in particular where they have the classic bring your child to work day. And of course, like Michael always does, he doesn't even have children, but he's going to make that day about him. So he chooses to bring in a video and he's going to play a clip from the moment he was a child TV star, he says. Because he's on a television show as a child and what they do is they ask Michael and the other kids the same question that I just asked you. What's your dream? What's your hope? What's your great aspiration? One of the boys that goes up before Michael, it's a little boy named Chet. And as he's standing there, all the other people in the office say, oh, oh my goodness, isn't that Chet? Isn't that the guy that does the weather on the kind of region's telecast, the broadcast for the TV station? And like, yeah, it's him. And Michael, of course, is now not about him. I'm the star. And he kind of moves on from that. And so they asked Michael this question, what was your hope? What's your dream as you want to grow up? And this was his answer. I want to be married and have 100 kids so I can have 100 friends and no one can say no to being my friend. (laughs) And it's this great shot of this little puppet cat that like looks at the camera like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? But the best part is that all the kids then start asking him questions and they say, are you married? And he's like, "Uh, no. (laughs) Do you you have any children? No, I don't. And then another child says, do you even have a girlfriend? He said, we're done. He just kind of moves on from it. Have you ever had one of those Michael Scott moments where you're like, I remember I had these dreams, I had these aspirations, and then I'm comparing it with where I find myself today. If you're like me, some of those things I look back and I think about my dreams and my wishes and my hopes and, oh, it's silly and it's immature and we grow into it. But there are others that I feel like Michael, like there were things that were worthy dreams. What about yours? There There were things that were meaningful, like He wants to have a family, and he wants to have children. He wants to have a sense of belonging and community. That's a good thing. And yet, there are times in our lives where, like Michael, we look at that and we say, I can't do it for all of my efforts and all my trying. I can't get in my reality where my childhood dreams were. Well, I say that because we come into this place in Scripture, and, and we're hearing the voice and reading the words of the one who calls himself in Ecclesiastes, the teacher. And who is this teacher? Well, it it may be Solomon. It may be someone in the line of David and Solomon biologically. It may be someone in the line of David and Solomon more theologically and philosophically. We, We don't know exactly. There's certainly hints, especially in this part of the text, that feel like Solomon. There's some distance that feels like maybe not. Who knows? But but what we do know from the text is really clear. We talked about this last week. Let me say it again. What we know is this teacher is wealthy. We know this teacher is powerful. We know this teacher is successful. And we know this teacher is incredibly experienced in life. He's writing this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pass on wisdom to the next generation, both biologically but also spiritually to all of us. 
And he's really experienced in life. And what's different about him than Michael Scott and a lot of us is he does have the giftedness and the circumstances and the situation to actually accomplish all of his childhood dreams. He actually has the giftedness and circumstances and the the gift of God to accomplish a lot of our childhood dreams. So what we're going to do in this text is we're going to listen to his testimony about pursuing some things that for him he's trying out whether or not it's missed. He's looking for something in his life that won't be Hebel. It will be something he can grasp, that he can hold on to, that will give enduring joy and meaning to life and what he's going to do is walk through three different pursuits that if you notice them there are very common human pursuits to say is this something that will give us ultimate significance and ultimate joy so let's walk through them the the first uh, pursuit that you see is what I call just simple human wisdom and knowledge human wisdom and knowledge How smart can I get? How skilled can I get in my knowledge and approach to the world? It's really important because he makes it clear in verse 13 that he's not talking about God's wisdom from above. Now, this is inspired by the Lord, but it's giving us a human perspective. This is what he says. I applied my mind to study and explore. Does this feel familiar? I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom. All that is done and where it's done is really important. Under the heavens, in verse 13. And he'll go on to say in verse 14 and elsewhere, I'm talking about wisdom that is under the sun. Life under the sun. What does it look like to pursue human wisdom that we can know here outside of the revelation of God? How smart can I get? How knowledgeable can I get? And will that give me something I can hold on to and hold on to, he said. I think it's fitting to open here with this pursuit because we're in a university town and we're in a pretty smart church. Do you know when we were discerning over two years ago now whether or not to come and be a part of this congregation, you know that's one of the things that everybody I talked to said about you. So this is a smart church. So there's 40 PhDs in the room. I'm seeing some of them. There's some brilliant folks in here. There's no such thing as a dumb Aggie, they said. They're just smart folks. Greg, who preached here before, said it's a great place to preach. You can dive into Scripture and people love it. That's awesome. I think it's even more important in a place like this to say, what wisdom does the Lord have for us from this experienced guy who himself will say, I excelled all the wisdom that came before me. Look at verse 16. He is equipped to testify about how meaningful amassing knowledge and human wisdom can be. I also think it's helpful for us to ask this question. Where do we see in our world this tendency to grasp and reach out and pursue human knowledge and human wisdom? I do think I see it a lot in a university setting. Not a bad thing, by the way. We'll we'll talk more about that. There's nothing bad about it. But is it ultimate is the question. I remember, I I think I shared this in Bible class one time. I, I have a really dear friend of mine that is a professor in a university uh, in Tennessee, and he, um, at that time, was going to a different place. He moved from one place to one university to another, and he invited me to come and be a guest lecturer for one day in a school that, at, t- at that time, when I went there, was 18, ranked 18 in the country. 
you got brilliant future leaders just like we have here, brilliant, uh, powerful people that are going to make difference in the world. And I got a chance to go in and talk to them. The first thing I want to do was listen. And I just asked the question. I asked the Michael Scott question. I'm just, you know, not as a child, but now I'm just curious. What do you want to be doing? What do you want to be about? What's your passion 10 years from now? And they went around the room. They said it. And it was, this, it was a smaller discussion class. I remember this big oval table and the guy that was sitting, oh, in the back of the right. 20-year-old guy. And this is what he said. He said, I want to make enough money that I can retire when I'm 30, not make this up, buy my own island, move there and live there for the rest of my life. That was the vision. Some of you are saying, oh, amen, pretty cool. Here's the thing. It wasn't just some frivolous thing. We walked out, and I was talking to my buddy who's the professor. He said, Dean, don't, don't dismiss this because I, I just want you to understand, this guy probably will do it. He has the resources, he has the ambition, and the drive to do it. I'm not discounting all of that, but I'm saying I would love to invite him to have a conversation with the teacher. Because he did that, and he amassed all of that, and he achieved all of that. And and that's not bad necessarily. The question is, is it ultimate? I wonder five years after that and ten years after that, is that going to be sustaining him in his journey? Well, what about this? It's easy to kind of look from a distance because a lot of us may not be in that place, but it's helpful to put out where our culture is and we swim in those waters. We may be pulled into that. But what about, what about church world? Is there a place where this pursuit of knowledge and wisdom creeps into church settings? One of the things that I learned when I studied our heritage in what is known as the Stone-Campbell Restoration Movement, they gave birth to the stream in Christianity known as Christian churches and disciples of Christ and, yes, churches of Christ. Uh, what, what is distinctive about that? Well, there are a lot of things, glorious, wonderful things about that, rich heritage, passion for unity and all of that. But do you know one of the things that characterizes this movement, and we are not the only one, especially a lot of things that were born in the American frontier. Here's one of the things that characterizes it. I'll just say it this way. Our identity has often been based on being the one who gets it really, uh, who's smart enough to get it right. We get the questions right. We figure out what worship looks like. We figure out what God's supposed to be. We figure out core doctrinal things, and we get it right. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I want to unify around what's core. But here's what's, here's what's interesting. What got kind of projected early on in this movement was if we get these things right, we're going to be really smart. We're going to get it right. We're going to offer it to the world, and then everybody will just agree. We'll all come together on that. I still remember one of the books that I read written by Alexander Campbell, Stone Campbell Movement, and it was titled this, Gospel Restored. We got it. We figured it out. And if we just share that with everybody, everybody will drop all the things that divide and we'll just come together and we'll unify. A noble dream, but a little naive. I love the way uh, the other founder of our movement that got raised up, a guy named Barton Stone, the way he put it. He talked about different avenues to have unity. And he went through a list of things that will not unite people. And he talked about in their day, people were dividing still to some degree, but especially back then, over creeds. And there would be these long, long creeds. And if you didn't agree to all of this, you were in a separate group and a separate group and all that kind of stuff. He said creed union will never work. But then the part that hit me where I grew up in my picture of the way things were, he called it head union. If we can just think really hard, figure everything out, agree on everything, we will all unite intellectually. How has that worked for us in Christianity? 
Now look, that doesn't mean we don't think really hard. That doesn't mean we pray, don't pray and study the Bible and try to really be strong in what the core is. That's not what it's talking about. I'm just saying, we're never going to get a list of things where we intellectually agree and the intellectual agreement alone unifies us. There's a limit to that, and the teacher taught us that a long time ago. Now here's what Barton Stone said that I love. He said instead of creed union and uh, head union and all that, he said, here's what I want to offer, fire union. The fire of the spirit of the living God who only through God's spirit can supernaturally bring people together. Here's his line. Puts it this way. The fire of the Holy Spirit by which hard and unloving hearts are softened and filled with supernatural love. Where we actually interact and love and care about people who disagree in powerful ways. Here's the invitation that says, hey, can we recognize that as smart as we are and brilliant as we are, pursue that, that's fine. That alone will not give you what you care about most. It is, his conclusion, missed. It is hebel. Now hear me, this doesn't mean, that's why I don't translate it meaningless. So don't study, that's not what it says. Doesn't mean it's meaningless, doesn't mean it's worthless. Study, work hard, take it in. But understand, it is not ultimate it will not give you an identity that endures over time. That's the message. In fact, he'll go on to say in verses 13 and 14 that wisdom is better than foolishness. Why? Because you can see where you're going, he says. You can see where you're going in life. Wisdom gives you the ability to make choices that you don't fall into ditches. Wisdom gives you the ability to know the limitations of wisdom itself. They said, oh, don't make it the most important thing. Hey, here's just one aspect of this I, I want us to see. There is a myth out there that all we need to solve the greatest problems in the world is education. What does he say? There's a lot of things we can pull out. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. He's talking about it in the context of wisdom. The deepest problems in human life will not be solved by information alone. That does not devalue what we do in the university. It just says we've got to aim higher than that. Classic example of this, you know, one of the greatest achievements of intellect in human history over the course of generations was the Great Wall of China. 4,000 miles of wall that brilliant people through the ages constructed in order to protect China from attacks from the north. Did it work? Do you know three times within the first hundred years they were attacked and people got through the wall? Not because they were able to penetrate it, not because they were able to jump through it. Does anybody know? Does anybody know? They bribed the guards at the gate. 1,000 A.D., they were defeated again because they filled in the trenches and climbed over the gate. The reason they did is because they studied it enough to see the guards weren't doing their job. And they were slacking off, so they climbed over it. The, the biggest one is in the Ming Dynasty in the 1600s. The general of the Chinese army sold him out and opened the gate. <laughs> Here's what that tells me. Not that it's build great things, do great things. Think deeply, that's fine. Just don't trust that for what's ultimate because it didn't solve the real problem. What was the real problem? Not their technology or their knowledge. Their real problem was the heart of the guards. Learn, soak it in. Don't make it the ultimate thing in our lives, whether that's school or church. There's something bigger. 
Second pursuit is the pursuit of pleasure and indulgence. How how does he say it here? Beginning of chapter 2. He said, I decided to test with pleasure to see if I can find what is good. This is what philosophers call hedonism. Here's the idea. What do I want to do? And I'm going to try it and see if it makes me happy. I call it the, uh, the uh, advertising approach to the world. We're about to get inundated with it. You know that. People are going to spend millions of bucks to try to sell you something on Super Bowl Sunday. Here's the thing. Every one of these ads are going to say, you need this, 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 you need this. And the teacher said, okay, bring it on. He literally tests. And he says, I'm testing this out. And my mind is guiding me with wisdom the whole time. This is cracking me up. So look, look at the uh, perspective, it says, in verses, verse 3 and verse 9. I embraced folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. What do you do with that? Like, I'm going to do some crazy stuff. I'm going to try some things out. But I'm thinking about it as I'm going. Love the way one paraphrase goes. He's going wild and taking notes. Now listen, he's not just partying here. He really is reflecting. He's really asking the question, can pleasure and doing what I want fill my soul? And he tries it all. The invitation here is, will we listen to someone who has tried everything you're going to be invited to try? Will we listen to the wisdom of the teacher and let him fail for us or not? He tries these things out. In this particular section, he is indulging, he says, in wine. I'm drinking up. I'm partying. I'm drinking deeply of life and literally. Now understand, this is a Holy Spirit-inspired perspective. It is not saying go party and get drunk. It is offering a perspective of someone who tried that path and is telling you it's missed. Now you balance that with other voices. Let me just give you a few examples because it's important to talk about this because I I don't want some of you to say, the Lord called me to do some research. (laughs) Not what this text is about. Proverbs 23, 19 and following. Drunkenness and gluttony leads to poverty. Go just sit in an AA meeting and ask people what they lost when they let that control their lives. Chapter 23, 29 and following. I love this little list. Lingering over wine leads to... Woe, sorrow, strife, complaints, and you ready for this? Bruises. (laughs) Lingering over wine. You let that stuff control you, you're going to get beat up internally and externally, it says. Chapter 31, 1 and following. Leaders, kings, avoid strong drink. Why? Because it undermines wise judgment and justice. The wisdom of the Lord balances off what he's trying out here. But here's the reality. Teacher isn't the only one that's done this. Most of us, we're honest, have had some seasons of life or some moment of life where we said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I shared this in Bible class one time. One of my favorite moments of being a parent was our daughter in her freshman year. Got an opportunity to go to Europe on a study abroad program. And everything in our discernment said, this is not the right time and it's not the right group. I'd love to send her anywhere with you guys. Not the right time, not the right group. And she called up and asked for our wisdom and advice. I remember where I was standing in the place I was working as a chaplain, outside under the tree, and she called. And I know what she wanted me to say. And I told her the truth. 
I said, I believe with all my heart, you will go one day and you will love it, but if you go now, you will regret it. And I gave some reasons. Here's the thing. I wrote this down because you're going to hear this too. You're going to experience, all of us experience this. This is what she said. She's crying because she wanted to go. And she said, my friends, my friends told me, and I quote, just do what you want and what makes you happy. Just do what you want and what makes you happy. Don't ask anybody else. Do what you want. And I told her, and this is one of those moments, I'm like, with all of my heart, I'm begging you to hear me. When I look at the most painful mistakes that I've seen people make in their lives, in history, in my friends' lives, in my own life, when I've looked at the most painful mistakes people have ever made, they did it based on that philosophy. I'm going to do what I want to do and what makes me happy. And I begged her the same way the teacher is begging us today. Let me fail for you and listen to my wisdom. By the grace of God, she cried and she said, I'm not going to go. It doesn't always work this beautifully with parents, by the way, but within three months, she called us back and she was like, thank you. There were all sorts of reasons it would have been horrible. Sometimes it's 30 years, but the wisdom of the Lord will invite us to say, hey, please, don't just follow the pursuit of whatever you want and whatever makes you happy under the sun. There's a bigger picture. Lastly, I apologize. I, it's, I know it's late. My old line from my old preacher. I came here to preach. You came here to listen. If you get done before I do, you're free to leave. So <laughs> I got up here late. I'm doing the best I can. Last picture, what's the last pursuit? It is it's kind of like pleasure part two, but I call it success, entertainment, and a different kind of indulgence. Go read verses four through following. We kind of skipped over that, but this is what he said. I set about to do great projects. I'm going to do great things. And he built architecture all over the place, big houses, all that kind of stuff. And agriculture, he did gardens and all that stuff. And he, he talks about water. You're like, why are you bragging about water? You ever lived in Lubbock? You've been through a summer here. Listen, if you bring water to a dry and arid region, that is a great project. And that's what he brags about here. So there's these kind of things. By the way, all the stuff on this list are the kind of things that kings were known for, a really successful king. But it's not just, hey, agriculture and, all, and, and, and uh, architecture, that's cool. But he literally finishes the list because he started before with wine, and he literally says here, women and song. He said, I had singers and I had a harem. And I quote, the delights of the heart of man. The delights, literally in Hebrew, of the sons of Adam. And in verse 10, lest you think, oh, he's just kind of, he's not totally going wild here. In verse 10, he said, I didn't withhold anything my heart desired. I tried it all. Again, this weird verse, verse 9. Wisdom stayed with me the whole time. I don't know about that. He's studying whether pleasure will make him happy. He did the research for you. Now, we'll talk about pleasure more in the future. Remember, it's not bad or evil, some of the choices you're making are, but pleasure, advancement, achievement, building, doing great things, nothing wrong with that. It's just missed. It will not ultimately define you. That's the question about this. So I encourage you to think about it this way. Let's just focus on the achievement part. I just beg you in the name of Christ not to buy into the mad frenzy of doing in order to matter. 
There are some people that wrap their entire identity in what they do, how they perform, and how they accomplish. And I am not talking down to you. I have struggled with that, as I've told you before, as a recovering people pleaser much of my life. Here's the thing that the Lord wants to remind us of through the teacher. We were created to be human beings, not human doings, and you are defined by something bigger than that. And you can achieve great things and it will not sustain you. Great story perhaps you heard of before, a guy named Chuck Colson, known as a Christian leader now, but that's not what he was known as first. He was a a powerful man in the U.S. government under the Nixon administration. Got arrested in the whole Watergate thing and all that. He gave a testimony one time, and this is what he said. Can you picture this? He said, I was one of six people on the planet who could walk into the Oval Office, listen to the language, any time I pleased. One of six people, including the President of the United States. I was one of six people who any time I wanted to, I could walk straight in the Oval Office. Do you feel the power of that? The achievement of that? That's a great post, right? And this is what he said. When I look back on that time, I realized I did not make a difference in one person's life for the positive. Most powerful guy in the world, and he made no difference at all. Now, he got arrested, sent to jail, and when he went to jail, that's where Jesus Christ found him, and he gave his life not just a little bit, all the way, and he spent the rest of his life in prison ministry. Right? Way to God called him. Here's the thing. While he was still in jail, he wrote a letter, sent it to the paper, and it was a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody read it. He got a letter back from a guy who said, reading your letter, hearing your story, save me in every possible way. He said, I was the most powerful guy in the world. And I didn't change anybody's life for the better. I'm sitting in a jail. I didn't even get out. I wrote a letter. And the Lord used it to change life. There is something that isn't missed, but I'm telling you, it's not achievement and performance and all of that. Quickly, quickly, I want to let Jesus finish this because Ecclesiastes asks the questions that Jesus responds to. Go spend some time reading the last part of Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 6, great Sermon on the Mount. Jesus addresses exactly this pursuit in really practical ways. Verse 31, he said, don't worry. Now, every time I hear that, I think, oh no, I worry, and now I'm going to hell because I'm worrying about worrying. And that's not what he's telling. Translated this, don't make the ultimate pursuit of your life this. Don't worry about questions like this. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? For, he says, the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Maybe you've heard this before. What does he say? Seek first The kingdom of God, that's not some churchy word. Seek first the vision of God, the passion of God, the reason God put you on the planet. All these other things will be added to you as well. Dude, I don't want to be that guy who achieves everything in the world, tries everything in the world, and ends up realizing I made no difference at all in the world. Even I end up in a prison of my own stupidity, which I have before. I want to say, God, take this life and make it matter for you. I do believe the Lord will tell you why you are on the planet in a way that lasts, endures, and gives you deep joy. Let that be the exploration of the rest of this study. Father God, we celebrate you for being the Lord and the giver of life. We celebrate you for inviting us to chase not the emptiness 
of the winds that are all around us, but the depth of the Spirit and the breath of you, our God, who breathes the Holy Spirit and breath of God into our lives. Remind us why we're here. And Father, we're so grateful because we all have struggled with, with trying to find the ultimate in the temporary. So call us more, give us grace, and lead us forward with your wisdom, not just of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, but the greatest teacher who ever lived and lives for us, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.